0: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.
1: Hey, I'm John Ridley, and this is Doc Talk. Uh, my partner. Matt Carey is away as we speak, as we record this episode. He is heading up to, or is, at the the Sundance uh, International Film Festival, covering uh, the documentaries up there. Hey, speaking of the Sundance Film Festival, this week we have uh, a director. Actually, I'm going to say I have a director this week. Our guest this week is someone I really, really wanted to speak with once I saw his work. I will say this. Fifty years ago last year... Uh, The Exorcist, probably a a defining film in the horror genre, premiered, I've never seen The Exorcist because I'm um, I'm very superstitious or cautious or what have you. So sitting down to watch the last work of this director was illuminating, eye-opening, provocative. I could not continue to look in some places. In other places, I could not look away. But already in January, I think we got a leader for the most Challenging, incredible film, not just documentary, but maybe film of the year. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the show director Scott Cummings. Scott. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for such a
0: wonderful introduction, actually. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I actually just watched The Exorcist as well um, on a plane, and I was, <laughs> it was hadn't seen it in many years and I was I was sitting next to a younger girl like maybe high school age and she was sitting like this the whole time and I realized that she was didn't want to look at the screen which is amazing because the movie is 50 years old I mean it really is a very it's a visceral body
1: experience that movie I'm really engrossed in in what you do and how you do it so Let's start from the beginning or a little bit towards the beginning. We don't have to go back to day one, but you're, you're, you're from New York. You're from the New York area. Is, is, are you originally from New York? I
0: live in New York now. It's very, it's very cold today. So I'm kind of like, why do I live here?
1: Because it's beautiful. You have snow behind you. It's like a snow globe outside. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I only asked because you did go to State University of New York at Buffalo. And that's where you began studying um, art, your creativity. I'm curious. For you, what was it, you know, there's a moment all of us get our our, our sort of our switch flipped, and it's, hey, this is the direction I want to go, just even for now. For you, what was it? Was it art? Was it film? Was there some way that you want to express? Because as we get into it, you're quite the artist. And I'm curious what that driver was for you early on. You know, I I was around music and all that kind of stuff
0: and, you know, punk rock and all that stuff. And I... I was always around subcultures, and at some point, um, I discovered kind of left field filmmaking. Pretty young, I, I have such a distinct memory of, um, I was I was probably 12 at a video store in, in Rochester, New York, and a guy, uh, I was with my friend, we were both these like headbanger, like long hair kids, and we were looking at like whatever horror movie, and this guy came up and he said, hey, you kids want to see something really crazy? <laughs> And we were like, yeah. And he handed us a copy of Altered States and walked away. And that was like, you know, this weird moment I've never forgotten. Like, I, you know, it's a little weird, actually, because he didn't work there. He was just some weird guy. But, you know, we took it home and kind of had no idea what to do with it. And but it was like this total moment for me where I saw that. that I mean, I'd, I'd seen kind of crazy films before, but that was that's a I've rewatched it recently. And it's a pretty crazy movie. Actually, I mean it's very crazy. Um, so I, I it kind of stayed with me.
1: I, I saw it when it came out. I think in, it was about 1984 when the, it was 84, 85 around that time when it when, when altered states came mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So that I mean that's a weird introduction to just filmmaking to be in a video store and have a random dude say, Hey, do you want to see something a little weird? I miss those days. That. <laughs> well, it's you know it, it's always odd the things that take you in a new direction. And 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 to me, that totality yeah. of that, you know, to be in a video store, which is, you know, check number one, a young person in a video store, you're on your way to, to being an artist, to be able to be at least cautious enough, but open enough to anybody coming up to you. And then I remember seeing um, Altered States and I didn't know what to make of it other than, and this leads a bit to, I think, your filmmaking. If I don't know what to make of it, I need to explore it because that means I haven't seen it and I haven't been around it. Mm-hmm. You did a film back in 2006. This is a short that I have not seen, The Hesher. Yeah. That's the, was the name of the film a short film? That is, yeah. And it's basically, I looked it up, a guy abusing himself. That is basically the log line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well,
0: let me, I, I'll give you the the background because there is, okay. a, so I, I did eventually decide I wanted to go to film school uh, when I was about 26. And uh, I had actually been an English teacher teaching English as a second language until mm-hmm. then. Um, and I didn't want to continue doing that. I'd, I I I kind of really fallen in love with film. I was living overseas and I was like, you know, this is something I want to do. I applied for film school and I ended up going to Cal arts. And yeah. one of my teachers was Monty Hellman, who you probably know plenty about. And Monty, uh, You know, very interesting filmmaker, especially at certain periods, gave us this assignment where he challenged us to make a a film in a short period of time. The criteria was just make a film that makes somebody feel something. And I had kind of a few um, ideas, but eventually I kind of settled on this idea of me in my kitchen, in character, without saying too much, kind of slapping myself in a masturbatory way. Um, so it's very sexualized and it's it's pretty disturbing, I think, actually. Mm. And um, you know, I did, I made it. It was, it was, and then I showed it the next day, and about three people in my class walked down. and one person <laughs> didn't talk to me for a week afterwards. And I was like, oh wow, okay, that really worked. Um, and you know, it played actually. Uh, you know, Joss Siegel programmed it for this Umoma thing, so it was like this huge thing for me, actually. I'd never made anything that played anywhere. And so it was kind of, I started kind of making work that was a bit more, because I, I kind of had like a, an interest in performance art, especially kind of like physical performance art, like a lot of kind of 20-something year old guys, I think, uh, get interested in physical performance art, like hurting yourself <laughs> and things like that. Um, and I started ma- kind of making more work like that. And um, I made some more straightforward narrative work, but it, it never really quite had the same level of uh, people just weren't that into it and I was less into it actually. So I, I was kind of into making this performance stuff, but I wanted to kind of push it farther. And I also kind of wanted to stop uh, abusing myself, <laughs> um, which was because you know I would like do these things and then like feel like I'd hit by a car for three weeks and it was like, why am I doing this? So then I decided I wanted to like expand. To other people.
1: I, I don't want to ask an overly personal question, but but what you were doing, you, you talk about being in a character, so I'm assuming you, you you didn't normally self-abuse or anything like that. It really was, I want to do something to make someone feel. That was the prompt. And, yeah. you know, taking that feeling to an nth degree, it, would, would that be correct in saying?
0: Yes. And I, I think also the idea, what was really interesting to me about the project is that, um, the classmate I, I talked about, who didn't talk to me afterwards, could not separate me personally from the character on the screen. And we knew each other for years, and it was like, a, I realized there was like something to that, that like, I had somehow like erased. And I also looked at the camera in it, which bothered people, but it somehow like erased the line between real and not real. And that really stuck with me how the line between the real person and the character is something that I'm super interested in. And that was kind of the moment where somebody really showed it to me because they were like, really... I mean, I'll I'll send you the film. It is upsetting. I think it's actually really... Even now, it's still kind of my standard for what I wish I could make because it's five minutes, but it's like five minutes that are like, whoa, okay.
1: Look, art... And being an artist is sort of a weird thing to, to throw around. I think sometimes that's more of a public perception than a personal perception. But you certainly pursue art. As we get to realm of saying, look, that is a film that you clearly have a vision for and people either are on board or, or not, and you're fine with that, which is amazing. But do you feel like your desire, as you say, you were doing things and it's like, look, this narrative doesn't quite do it for me. That you need to push yourself in a more of some kind of an art space than things, hey, it may be great, it may be powerful, I've been watching end of the year films myself now, narratives are really good, but it is presentational. And it is creating, as you say, this artifice, and it's interesting when you talk about the Hesher, because the moment you started looking in the camera and people could not separate you from this character, that's what directors want. But you achieved it and people rejected it. So a long way of asking sort of where do you put yourself? Are you a director directing things or an artist trying to create these amazing installation pieces that you may have to roadshow because a museum will go, we're not putting that up in this, you know, kind of more challenged day and age of what constitutes art or what it may offend a a more traditional audience.
0: Yeah, I think it's tricky for me because I'm not super educated in art. So I kind of can talk a little bit of the top, but I, I, if if I, if you put me up against like a first year grad student, I like fall apart, you know. Maybe even like an undergrad. <laughs> um, but I think uh, for me, um, I still have that narrative desire, and that's kind of where all of my it's still in me that like idea of narrative, and I'm in my mind, I'm still making narratives. Actually, like I might be obfuscating them completely, but like. you know, I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a narrative film. It's totally fiction narrative. But, you know, obviously that's not totally right. But for me, like the joy of filmmaking in a sense is collaboration and working with people, um, which is kind of, it's, it just feels, yeah, it's hard for me to like boil it down to that question because, um, I don't ever again want it to be one person making something. Like the idea of like kind of visions like clashing is much more interesting for me. So I think I think I I still fall in the director camp just in a very weird way. Um, it's it's <laughs> and it 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 has always been. I mean, it's really tricky because I I think I can kind of present myself in a way that feels like I'm I'm like Mr. Art School, except I didn't really go to art school and actually. Once you start scratching at it, it's like, oh, this guy's like a total nincompoop. So, Well, look, listen,
1: I, I like you already because you're like me. You you announce your perceived flaws. But I got to tell you, I don't know that Basquiat could have held his own with art students, but he excelled beyond them. That's <laughs> true. And, <laughs> and, and, and to me, look, whether, whether one, and, and I'm using that word, I want to be clear to our, our audience. I'm speaking with Scott Cummings. He's the director of the new film, Realm of Satan. Art is, to me, it's more of an attitudinal approach. And in your approach, there is a a confidence and a sureness in that approach. To me, that is very interesting. And I had the opportunity to see a bit of an evolution of that. I was sent an earlier short film that you did, um, Buffalo Juggalos, uh, the short film about the insane clown posse, which I knew the name, but I I have to say I'm not the hippest person, so I, I knew little about the insane clown posse but that was a really from from frame one all the way through it was really to me it's like collecting dozens of of little art films that create these almost rorschach like images of moments some still some still and then (laughs) motion um where you're Presenting people and saying, look, this is a group, and if people don't know the Insane Clown Posse, it was a, a rap sort of hip-hop duo or, or, or at least a little group out of the Detroit area around the time of Eminem and Kid Rock. And really, although not necessarily hugely famous, really had a cult following. And the government, this was really interesting, so the Buffalo Juggalos are considered a, uh, not domestic terror, but a violent or extremist group in, in America, although they, they seem... Yeah, they're gang. yeah, or they're considered a gang, sorry, considered a gang, but they just seem like all kinds of interesting individuals, but you capture these folks in images and they have makeup on, they're in interesting situations, but also very normal, or things that moment you think, well, they're they're these hip hop type kids or they're white or what have you, and then doing something where you go, oh, but they're also this. It upends expectations of film, of narrative, of imagery. I'm curious how you started to arrive to this form of storytelling, where it is so patient.
0: When I moved back to New York uh, after school, I was kind of, you know, on the pressure of making a feature film and very uh, oh, crushed by that pressure. And, um, you know, I'd always like made these narratives, but I'd always made this kind of like more experimental performance art almost work. And um, I was writing a narrative feature that never came together, and on the side, I had started kind of trying to come up with an idea for, like, another performance thing. But I knew I didn't want it to be myself, actually, because I was sick of kind of—I thought I'd done it a few times, and I was also sick of kind of going through the process of it and kind of generally injuring myself. (laughs) Uh, And I was thinking, like, who can I find that would do crazy things? for me, on camera. (laughs) And, like, who is actually crazy enough? Because the film, I mean, like, the Hesher is, like, a very... It's pretty extreme. So it's like, who is gonna be able to do this besides me? And somehow that... I'd heard about juggalos, I didn't know too much about them, but um, they were in my head as being people who were kind of out of control. And I thought, okay, these people (laughs) might be interesting And also, they were kind of very maligned, like, socially. And I was like, well, you know, actually, like, let's try to meet these people and not malign them. Because that the easiest thing is to, like, make fun of somebody or to, you know, and it was like, well, there must be something interesting about them. And they seemed like kind of maniacs. So that's that's interesting. And so I ended up kind of connecting with these people. And at first, I didn't know that that was going to be the type of soul I made. And I had kind of a moment, actually, that sort of dictated a lot of what has there's several things, but there's a lot of direct address to the camera in my films. And I was always taught in grad school that you could not do that. You know, I went to a very experimental grad school, but they, you know, that was like no, <laughs> never direct address the camera, and if if so, only once. So I thought, well, what if they do it all the time? <laughs> and I thought, okay, so let's do that. And then I'd also there at the time I was making it, there were all these horrible TV commercials that would always be people like soulfully staring into. The camera to show like, you know, you should give money to, you know, help who, I, you know, it was just became this weird cliche of people kind of soulfully staring into a slow motion camera. And it was something that like drove me nuts. And um, anyways, I, I kind of made some progress with some of these local juggalos, the fans of St. Cloud Posse. And it was quite a funny story. I was invited to a wedding, a juggalo wedding. And um, the Juggalo wedding, I didn't know what I was in for. I'd never met a Juggalo. i just met them a week before, and they said, oh, you can come to our wedding. And um, I was, you know, trying to make inroads with them, so I just said, hey, I'll be your wedding photographer then. So my partner and I rented a camera. I went to their wedding, and it was in their backyard. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be the wedding photographer. I dressed up, she dressed up. And we walked into this backyard in South Buffalo, which is not a very, not, not the nicest place. And walked around the house and then there were 150 people sitting there and they all turned around to look at me and every single one of them was wearing that makeup and it was just like whoa what did I just walk into and you know both of us just kind of stopped like holy shit like it was like just like our heart stopped because and it was also this moment where it was like I'm like seeing something in front of me that I kind of can't process And also, like, that's confronting me. And they were looking at me like I was an insane person because I was wearing, like, a suit. (laughs) You know, I was dressed like I was going to a wedding. (laughs) And I was like, holy, I'm, like, the complete... I'm the outsider here. I'm the freak. This is their world. And, like, I'm getting confronted by it right now. And, like, it was, like, a moment of, like, just total paradigm shift in me. Um, So that moment kind of had formed the whole style of the film, that actually. Because then I kind of started kind of chasing this idea that these are people who are so maligned that, like, what if they start kind of looking back at you and kind of retaking that? So instead of soulfully staring at the camera, they're, like, staring at the camera in an incriminating way or, like, as a weapon. And that kind of became the form of the film. It kind of came out of that. And then them doing crazy stuff is also, you know, straight out of my other... (laughs) yeah i mean there are
1: moments of of real craziness there's a moment uh uh, you're in a auto junkyard there's a a gentleman sitting on a a a car another gentleman comes into frame whacks him over the head with a chair and uh, initially i'm like well this seems a bit staged then he's flipped on the hood and then he sits up and i think you can see the blood start to drip down his head this is not a staged moment it is um, (laughs) an act of you know let's call it consensual violence if there's something but it is remarkable and that leads us and me to your new film that you're taking to sundance you're on your way up to sundance shortly that's correct Mm. yeah that's right yeah trading trading the cold of new york for the the cold of utah this is an interesting film on all levels one it it is about and and correct me if i'm wrong the church of satan correct These, these are tend to be worshipers or priests within this the church of of satan yes um and this is an active ongoing church or explain it as, as as you as you care to so the church of satan was founded in 1966
0: uh you know they were kind of a response to the hippie movement in a way uh in san francisco by anton levay and you know he was quite uh especially at that time this was quite a provocative thing to happen i mean he was all over the news all the time and you know they've been going on for about Sixty-ish years, almost sixty, actually. Um, a lot of pop culture satanic stuff you've seen since like the mid-sixties has been kind of a direct result of them. Actually, like kind of the hail Satan, Rosemary's Baby, that stuff all comes out of Anton Malay's influence and the the kind of aesthetic that he created around Satanism. Uh before nineteen sixty-six there doesn't seem to be any religion called Satanism. There were like Satanist groups or like small, a lot of times like groups of nobility, like the Hellfire Club or like magic groups, but they they never really called themselves Satanists. So in 1966, that was kind of like, this is Satanism. I'm codifying a philosophy. I'm writing the Satanic Bible. He's passed away now, but he read about six or seven books about satanic philosophy in millions of articles. Um, and, you know, he codified a philosophy and a worldview that still continues. So it's it's been, you know, the church goes through different periods of ebb and flow, and they tend to like to stay a bit shadowy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when they're around, you know they're around, but then when they don't want to be around, they kind of stay out of the spotlight. Um, they kind of got pulled into the spotlight in the 80s and 90s with all the satanic panic stuff. Um, they've been kind of working and working for years and years Um, the current head of the church is Peter Gilmore he took over uh, a few years after Levay passed away in 2002 so it's been about 20, 22 years or 2001 sorry so 23 years Um, and uh, you know he's featured in the film I worked with him pretty extensively I know him pretty well Uh, as well as Levay's widow whose name is Blanche Barton who was also high priestess for quite a long time, about 15 years, including during Bay's life, and who now is kind of, she holds a a different title in the church, uh, but she's not involved as involved in the administrative uh, aspects of it. You know, it's still a church, so there's a lot of administration, actually, that
1: has to happen. It's very interesting. Well, sure, it's not all fun and games at all. There's work to be done. I'm curious when you approach them and you talk about them being—I don't want to—maybe say maybe not secretive, but as you say, want to be in the shadows. And actually, I'm going to get to this. There's a reason in, in your film that you actually capture that's uh, a bit harrowing. When you approach them, what what was your what was their reaction? Hey, I want to make a a, a film about y'all. What, what was their reaction? Obviously, you got to a yes, but but how was that process?
0: It it actually went better than I expected. I had finished Buffalo Juggalos and it had played. Quite a bit. And, you know, people were kind of pushing me. You know, I still have this narrative thing. So I was like, oh, I have to make a narrative. And some people were like, no, no, make another. You know, you should keep going down, chasing this thing you're chasing, which I think is right. Uh, they were right. Um, and I was thinking who I could work with. And the Church of Satan sort of popped into my mind somehow. And I kind of just started kind of going down the rabbit hole of Satanism and just fired off an email kind of into the ether, not expecting to hear back. And I was shocked because actually I got a response several days later directly from Peter Gilmore, who's the head of the church. And he said, you know, we're probably not interested, but thanks for asking us. And we appreciate that you you reached out, but, you know, we're not really doing any film stuff anymore. And, and I said, well, why don't you come see my film, Buffalo Juggalos, as playing an anthology as part of the Flaherty archives. Uh, it's a screening series for the Flaherty Seminar. And he said, well, I'm not in New York, but I'll send somebody else along and we'll see what he says. I had the screening. Uh, it was actually quite a, a great screening with Jody Mack and uh, Jessica Bardsley. And uh, it was it was like a packed, you know, it's a big room in an anthology. is pretty big and it was totally sold out and people were like standing and it was a great screening for all of us actually and and afterwards this guy approached me and he looked sort of what i assumed uh, somebody who's satanic looks like i mean he was kind of wearing like a he was dressed kind of sharply and kind of like a shark skin jacket and like pointy like shoes and like all black And he introduced himself, and I was correct. He was a Satanist. And uh, (laughs) he ended up kind of giving Peter the nod, like, hey, this guy's okay. And then Peter watched the film and really liked it. And the nice thing about Peter that I've learned is that, um, you know, we had a pretty quick connection over Siddha, because he is a Siddhafile, actually. And we very quickly were able to talk the same language cinema-wise, which is kind of a rare thing, I think. Even if he had different taste of me in some things, like, I found his taste interesting. Um, so, you know, he would recommend me. I'd be very obscure movies sometimes also that were... And he was usually right. And we could, like, bond over our love of, like, the loved one also, which is like a... You know, that's a movie that I could use as a a barometer for if I can get along with somebody. (laughs) You know, he's obsessed with Ken Russell, so that kind of comes back. We were able to talk on like an art film level, actually, and that he kind of, he did understand right away this is not a normal documentary. And, you know, there's been a lot of documentaries about the Church of Satan. There is a great documentary from the 60s called Satanus that is like, I am totally obsessed with it. Um, And there's been, even a few years ago, one of the people in the film made a documentary about LeMay, called Into the Devil's Den, which is very informative. It's kind of like, it's hard to, like, add to the body of knowledge that's already available about the COS. So, you know, Peter didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. And he was kind of more intrigued by the idea of doing something that was, like, more aesthetic, more provocative, maybe, um... It just kind of was something different, I think, and I mean, they're Satanists. They like things like that, you know. They like aesthetics and they like provocation and they like pushing boundaries. So, it was, you know, so it was. It's it actually, in retrospect, it was an obvious fit.
1: Well, and and you have much of that. You you have perform, I mean, literal performance. You have a, a gentleman who is a. Uh, close-up magician. Actually, it does all kinds of magic, but you see that. Um, you see people yeah. going through their rituals. Um, you see people, uh, there are a couple of scenes in there. I, I, I don't know what to say, but they're quite amazing. One takes place in a warehouse. I can't even talk about it, but it was really beautifully done. There was also one, a fire dance, uh, out in the forest that I just, I rewound and I watched that a couple of times because everything about it was truly masterful. What was your approach in an interview? Uh, you, don't, you don't call them subjects, you call them participants. Obviously, they're participating. There's one shot where you just have a gentleman, a uh, high angle standing outside of a car, standing, 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 and gets into the car and drives away. There are other that are so, they're, they're like ballets. Everyone in their place and the lighting and things like that. You also start to introduce some cgi and vfx in some places just talk about working with individuals who are neither actors or pure subjects and that approach and also getting the shot because the shots are got you know you get them they are not just uh, setting up a frame and stuff is going to happen um your style clearly has been evolving but i'm curious what does it take to get some of those shots and by the way the opening shot with the with the cow goat whatever i i what, what, whatever kind of person you are, you will decide whether you can make this film in that opening frame. Yeah, that, that's a men from the boys. <laughs> it's like you're
0: going to walk out if you're going to walk out right there. Um, if you right. stick through the opening shot, you probably will stick around, uh, which is great. I mean, uh, I'm happy. I, I mean, you know, the film is designed to be like, either you like it or you don't like it. And there's not, I don't know if anybody's familiar, yeah, it was okay. Like it's like either you like it. They're, like twenty percent of people are going to be like, yeah, I do like it, and then eighty percent are going to be like, fuck this guy. Um, no, uh, you know, generally <laughs> what what happens? I I try to be very open to the people. The nice thing was having Buffalo Jack I could say, here's my other film. Watch this film. If this appeals to you, we're going to do something that it's not this, but it's going to be related to this we're not gonna do a totally different kind of thing like this is what I'm making this is the kind of work I make you can see it and decide if it's interesting to you um and I try to be really open to them I try to like um you know I I'm very open about my intentions I uh I probably over explain as much as possible I don't shy away from for example saying that I think uh, the films are inherently sort of exploitive of the people on the frame. And that's not a thing that I'm shying away from. Um, And, you know, like the nice thing is the subjects I'm picking or the participants I'm picking are generally people who were already sort of on the same page in terms of references. So I can say like, it's sort of nonfiction, but like, I'm actually just trying to make like a version of pink flamingos (laughs) and like they get that, mm. you know, like Pink Flamingo's, first off, everybody gets it, everybody likes it. John Waters working with his friends, and it's sort of exploitation, but it's also sort of this other level of thing. So I I'm, I, I, kind of throw that stuff out there so they know, okay, these are the touchstones, because they, I know they all also know that. Um, you know, one of the satanic sins is to lack aesthetics. There are several, there's a list of of, of sins and sadism and a lack of aesthetics is, is, is a sin. So, you know, I'm, I'm really putting it forward. This is an aesthetic documentary. A lot of times in academic documentary talk, there's kind of a criticism of aestheticization of the subject. And I'm like, no, we're aestheticizing you. You are an object. You are a sculpture. And this is like, I'm going to make you into like a sculpture. Um, so I'm, I'm, pretty clear about that right away too. So they, they know that it's going to be some version of that. And then, you know, and then I kind of show up, uh, sometimes some, some of the things that happen in the film are things that were written well in advance of even meeting them. Uh, other things just kind of come from talking to them or what they're able to bring to the table. Um, and then at some point, you know, you kind of build a collection of things, and it's a bit like putting a puzzle together. For example, the forest dance that you're talking about was totally led by that person. Uh, there was no saying no to them. <laughs> they're a very strong personality. And they're like, this is what we're doing. We're doing it here and we're doing it at this time. And I will do it five times and not again. And I was like, okay, great. Like, wow. you know, we'll see how it goes. And actually it, it was perfect.
1: What, which, which take did you get it on? Did you, If you don't mind me asking.
0: Uh, it, that was it. Was the last take, but there were other quite good takes. I mean, I would have liked to do fifteen more takes, but you know,
1: <laughs> you kind of get what you get sometimes. It was really It was extraordinary. I, I, you know, I, I imagine as a director, you sit oh, and thanks. look and think, oh, this could be this. I, it was extraordinary, and and one of the things I do appreciate about the documentary, you talk about to a degree, all filmmaking or what we do is ex- exploitative, but what I appreciate, this was not. A narrative film, but there is a moment in it where you acknowledge, as an as an otherized community, that they face dangers being who they are. There was nothing that I see or are aware of that these folks are out actively hurting or doing anything. But there's a moment where it's captured in, in an arson and and an attempted murder. Yes, and you wove it into the story in a way that felt incredibly natural. But also as a documentary, I felt like I I, I got what I quote unquote. Paid for in the sense that, okay, this is also not just dada art. There's intentionality here. And, and from the framing, from the subject matter, from how you did it, there's intentionality every way. But talk for a moment about at least that incident so people understand this isn't just, oh, I'm going after the weirdest of the weird. Um, you humanize something, whether I agree or disagree with it. And once something's humanized, it's hard to deny. And obviously, I'm talking about bigger things, but right now I want to keep it to. Um, your film
0: so um I actually the, uh, you know I when I worked up the film when we were trying to produce it that was a uh, one of the comments that we got was what is this beyond just a freak show and so I, that kind of stayed with me actually like okay what is this beyond just a freak show and I knew it wasn't just gonna be that but I you know that kind of haunted me a lot because I wanted to I wanted to make sure it wasn't just that and when when we were shooting it's interesting because I knew the film would start as a kind of ragtag collection of images and not seem like it was going to make any sense and then it would kind of coalesce into people coming back and you recognizing people and then it would kind of coalesce into a narrative uh, that was almost a fictional road movie actually. And while we were shooting, um, when I first started the project actually there was a, there, were, there was a house, uh, a very beautiful kind of green gothic house. Uh, in the Hudson Valley, that uh, one of the members lived in, named Joe Netherworld, and it was great. I mean, it was it was. I, I didn't get to go inside, but I saw from outside, and I was going to meet Joe, and uh, and then COVID happened, so things got pushed. Of course, and over the course of that time, you know, Joe passed away, and somebody arsoned his house. And when I say arsoned a house, you know, sometimes in, you know people arson houses for a lot of reasons, but it was clear that this was a very malignant person. There was footage of it happening. It was clearly planned out. Like it was, it was clearly uh, an attempt to kill the people in the house. Um, and at, at first, I kind of didn't pay any attention to it because it was kind of an aside to the film. And then I, I just, you know, spending time with the people, I just kept hearing about him and hearing about the house and the arson. And I just realized that there was this whole that that arson had like really blasted a hole in their their culture actually, in the wor- their world. And, you know, they had kind of lived in this utopian, I don't want to say utopian satanic world, but you know, they were a little bit living in their own environment, and all of a sudden the outside world like, violently intruded a- in a dangerous way. Um, and they were very shaken by that. And you know, one of the people in the film, Fallon, uh, her name is Fallon, uh, was the best friend of the person who was killed or who who passed away and uh, just you couldn't spend more than half an hour with her without her kind of drifting into reminiscing and talking about the house and how they have to catch the person and she's the person who offers the reward which is a real thing and uh, at some point I realized like okay this person this needs to kind of be in the movie somehow Um, Because it's it's important, actually, and it's actually a very clear picture of what is happening right now here. And this is an iconic person that kind of got taken away, and this house was iconic. And the house, even though he didn't die in the house fire, the house is still an extension of him. It's never the outsiders who attack the normal people, or very rarely. To the outsiders who attack the normal people. It's always the the, the 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 polite society that kind of comes in and burns down their house or starts a fire or whatever. And actually, that's still the case. Um, so they are kind of in this fragile ecosystem or world that, um, you know, somebody can. It, it, yeah, it just felt like there was like a palpable danger to it. Um, actually, which is, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was very shocked about that. I mean, in the 80s, of course, there were a, they were often threatened and in danger. I
1: think a lot of that has receded, but there is still a danger there. It, it's certainly, I would say, a danger everywhere. And, and that, to me, was really powerful to present these individuals as being human, maybe slightly different than you and I, but also those same challenges. The film is Realm of Satan. For anyone who's gone to the sundance film festival if you can get into a screening if you can see the film it's a real experience i really encourage people to see it scott i am very excited to see what you do next i'll say one last thing my
0: all i want for people when ever when watching any film is to walk out and just not have any idea what to do with themselves uh that is the number one reaction I think people should have to feel. If they don't have that reaction, it was probably fine. But if if like four or five people feel that way, uh, and it seems like I got you, so I need three to four more uh, feel that way. I'll feel like we did a good job.
1: <laughs> I, you did more than a good job. It, it's it's like very few things that I've ever seen, and it is really remarkable. Scott, congratulations, and and good luck again at the festival. And I'm like I said, I'm curious to see what you do next. And you're welcome on the show anytime. Right, thanks so much. My partner, Matt Carey, is up at the Sundance International Film Festival. He's going to be talking to filmmakers and industry leaders and people around the business and filing from up there. So I look forward to hearing his reports. And always, we're going to be here again next week on Doc Talk, and I hope you'll join us. <laughs>